Vizio wants to follow Roku's model and become an advertising-driven business. What must it do to get there? Discovery Plus dominated new subscriber gains in January. Can it keep up the growth? Listen on to find out. week's edition of the Video News End Screen Media Podcast. This is Will Richmond, and that was Colin Dixon at the top from End Screen Media. Hey, Colin, how are you? I'm doing very well, Will. How are you? I'm doing pretty well, and we are teed up here for another edition of our podcast this week. We have two topics that we want to cover. First, Vizio filed to go public this week, and they are definitely looking to take a page out of the playbook uh, from Roku. And we're going to talk a little bit about that and whether that can succeed. And then we're going to transition to talking about Discovery Plus, which seems to have gotten off to a very strong start since its launch on January 4th here in the U.S. So you're going to get us going on Vizio, and then I'm going to get us started on Discovery Plus. Yeah, it's it's great when uh, you get suddenly you get a whole bunch of insight into a company which had been dark before, and the IPO filing certainly gave us that opportunity. So Vizio is the third highest penetration TV brand in the U.S. today. They're actually, they're quite a long way back from LG and Samsung, but as I say, they are the third most dominant. So this is the second shot at an IPO. They withdrew the other one uh, before, so they're, they're having another go at it now. And Will, what was really clear from their filing and their data was First of all, how similar they have they are structuring their business as our friends at Roku, but also that that they still have quite a way to go to get there, but it is very definitely on their sites. They really they really want to move more to a Roku model. So their CEO was pretty clear about this. In, and in the IPO filing, they were pretty clear about this. They said, we believe that Platform Plus will be the key driver of our future margin growth and financial performance. And Platform Plus is actually, that's two things they've put together in one thing. They've, they've taken their smart TVOS smart cast and its advertising sales and the data insights from its uh, data group called Inscape. Uh, and that's sort of their platform plus. So that's where they're expecting all the growth to come from. And when you, when I started looking, really, there's a lot of parallels between the two businesses, Will. So I mentioned Smartcast. This is very much like Roku's TVOS that, that they have. Um, they have a free offering inside of that called Watch Free, which has 130 or so virtual linear channels and on-demand uh, videos. And of course, Roku has the Roku channel, which has very similar structure. They have a bunch of on-demand content and channels too. So there really is a lot of parallels between the two businesses, but boy, the the shape of the businesses is very, very different. So uh, in the filing, Vizio tells us that they have about 12.2 million uh, users of their Smartcast TV operating system. Uh, pretty big growth. They say 61% growth in 2020. And of course, Roku, as we know, has 51.2 million, although their growth is slightly lower, about 39% in 2020. One interesting thing is 
that uh, that Vizio already is earning twelve dollars and ninety nine cents a year off off of each of its Smartcast users in advertising revenue, and I was surprised it was that high. It actually compares pretty well with Roku's, which is twenty eight dollars and eighty cents uh, per active user in 2020 so that actually compares pretty favorably but of course on a much smaller user base and their revenue profile on on the face of it looks pretty similar too Uh, Vizio says that they earn about 2 billion in revenue in 2020 that's up about 11% and Roku said they earn about 1.8 billion but how they earned it this is where the two companies really diverge pretty strongly only about seven percent of total revenue came from platform from the platform plus from the advertising size side of Vizio's business. In other words, they're still fundamentally a hardware business. It's all about selling smart TVs uh, for them to generate their revenue. It couldn't be more difficult, uh, just different at Roku. Roku, seventy-one percent of total revenue came from the advertising side of the business from their platform business now it does include other bits like like um, licensing for the for the OS to TV manufacturers but it's primarily advertising revenue so that's how the two of them sort of line up will it's um, oh and there was one other piece that they that they differ on um, I was surprised actually that Vizio is making a profit. They made 102 million, um, which is uh, they say up fourfold from 2019. Whereas Roku is still making a loss. They say they lost about 16 to 23 million in 2020. But uh, Roku investing very heavily in their advertising business. So that's the two businesses. Um, so what do you think, Will? Do you think Vizio is the next Roku when they IPO? <laughs> I think they'd like to be, that's for sure, <laughs> given how Roku has performed. Um, but, you know, they're in kind of a position that Roku, well, bigger than Roku, certainly, but in terms of the, the you know, the revenue mix um, in a position that Roku was in several years ago. And, you know, as you point out, with the emphasis on the device sales as opposed to the advertising and licensing streams that Roku has developed. So... Vizio is, you know, in one respect, I kind of like the fact that there's this playbook that's been pretty well established by Roku that they're going to try to emulate. Uh, On the other hand, they have a lot of work to do to, to, you know, fully recognize that. And I guess there's a few key holes in Vizio, if I understand it correctly, today relative to Roku that would, you know, come to mind for me right away. Um, The first is that Vizio only sells smart TVs. They don't sell sticks. And the stick business has been a big business for Roku. And uh, I think you mentioned this, you may mention this in your post, but it, it certainly allows Roku to get customers at a price point of, you know, 20 or $30 for a stick, as opposed to Vizio, which is only, you know, trying to get people to turn over their TVs or put TVs in new rooms. So Roku has seems like um, had more upside in terms of broadening their number of active users and you know driven it up to the 51 million over these 
just over the uh, over at the end of 2020. So that's one issue is no sticks for Visio. Um, another issue, if I understand correctly, is that Visio doesn't have a licensing model uh, for its OS like Roku does, uh, or if it does, it's a, you know a kind of smaller uh, part of their mix, and um, and also Roku made this acquisition either last year or the year before of the DSP business uh, from DataZoo, and that expanded their advertising capability. I don't think that Visio has that sort of DSP capability just yet, so that means that they're re really restricted at this point to being able to sell solely on their own media, uh, which Roku is able to expand from that today. Um, the Roku channel, no doubt, is far bigger and gets far more engagement than does the watch-free uh, business on Vizio. So that's yet another area where they're going to need to grow significantly. Um, and then, you know, Roku has obviously invested huge amounts of money in its advertising capability beyond the DSP that I was just talking about, but just in its underlying capability. And, um, and that's, I think, really helped to get them to this point where they, I think they, the number was 470 million that they generated in platform revenue in Q4. And, and that, you know, that's the capability that translates into the marketplace. And I think that's what Vizio has yet to really develop. Although I think they're, they're certainly investing. They know what the roadmap is, I, I trust, but, um, but the investments need to be made and the, the, um, the capability needs to be built out. So those are all, I think, kind of doable things for Vizio, um, but it's going to take some time and, uh, and, some, and some solid execution. So I, I think that's really what the story is going to be on Vizio once, they, once, they, once the IPO actually happens. Right. I, I think you're right, Will. It, it, they, they have to reduce their dependence on smart TV for the growth of Platform Plus revenue. And right now, it's completely dependent. As you say, the barrier to getting on SmartCast is the cost of a new TV. Yep. So they've got to fix that. One other thing that Roku has done with the Roku channel, which I definitely think that um, that Vizio needs to do, is to, is to set their watch free free so that you can get that on, on any device so that people that are using a Vizio TV, if they have another TV in another room, and there's a watch free channel that they like they can still watch it they totally need to do that um, so I think that's that's another very important thing for them to do um, the other thing the other reason why I think it's really important for them to reduce their dependence on smart TV is because of some of something that showed up in Conviva data for 2020 I was looking at this Data and uh, Conviva, of course, tracks uh, tracks video usage, really premium video usage. And what they found was that the engagement on streaming sticks and boxes was four times higher than the engagement on smart TVs in Q2 2020. And, and round about that time, I think Leishman put the penetration of connected smart TVs at about the same as the penetration of streaming sticks and boxes in American homes. So what that means is that people are just watching longer through that streaming sticks and bo stick and box. Now, why that is, well, that's a that's a question for maybe another another podcast. 
But while that is the case, you know, they're really, they're really hamstrung in the amount of advertising revenue they can receive if they're simply not getting the engagement that Roku is getting on their streaming, streaming sticks and boxes. So there are so many reasons why they have to reduce their dependence on the smart TV if they're going to be successful with this strategy. Um, but, but right now, it certainly looks like they're committed to doing it. So we'll have to see if they can execute on that as well as Roku has, because they've done a pretty darn good job. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting question that uh, Vizio will probably need to address at some point is, you know, why haven't they pursued the stick and box market over these past, you know, call it five years or so? Because Roku's been big in, a big player in that. And of course, Amazon's been a big player in that. Google has become a player in that, and it seems like Vizio had an opportunity, and they kind of went the route of Samsung and LG, who also don't have sticks and boxes. Correct? That's that's correct, and I. It is surprising because they obviously they have great relationships with with big box retailers like, you know, like Best Buy and Costco and Walmart. They, you know, they they have the relationships that they need. I think to introduce a product like that but i think for them this is a relatively new thing they've really i think they've really grokked if you like what roku is doing and they recognize the strength of that model so maybe these are things that we can expect when they actually do the ipo and perhaps that's one of the reasons they're doing it will they want the additional cash so that they can invest and and start to build out the infrastructure they need to make uh, platform plus a big success and so could that that could be why they're ipoing yeah, and Roku has been clear about its, um, you know, really what its playbook has been, which has been to gain active users, which of course comes through the purchase of device, purchase and activation of devices, uh, translate that into engagement, and then translate that engagement into monetization, which has happened obviously on the advertising side. But also, to be fair, by it getting splits from, um, you know, kind of commission type splits from uh, SVOD providers as well. Uh, but, you know, the bottom of that pyramid is uh, the, um, you know, purchasing of devices. And, and again, that comes back to having those sticks and boxes. So absent that, it seems like Vizio's opportunity is going to be somewhat limited. Yeah, I think so. Uh, that's the tough nut to crack, right? It's to reduce that dependence on the smart TV. And They've got to convince investors that they can do it. So, so we'll have to see if they can deliver. Yep, absolutely. Well, let's, um, we, you know, we'll keep an eye, obviously, on Vizio. I don't know what the, you didn't see what the timing was on when they're trying to get the IPO out, did you? Uh, I didn't, Will, but, uh, you know. I'm not sure they even said. No, I don't yeah, think they sure said, set. but it's, it's got to be sometime this year and probably in, in the first half, maybe. Yeah, soon, for sure. Um, so let's transition to our second topic, Colin, which is Discovery Plus. We've talked about Discovery Plus before. It launched in the U.S. on January 4th and, um, you know, launched with a huge catalog, 55,000 plus different TV episodes and some new data from Antenna, which is a firm that um, provides insights about the subscription market, released some new data today. Uh, we're recording here on Wednesday that Discovery Plus accounted for 19 percent of all U.S. SVOD signups 
in January, and um, that essentially was its first month here in the U.S. and it gobbled up a pretty big share, almost almost a fifth of all SVOD signups here in the U.S. went to Discovery Plus, and that put them in the leading position in terms of market share for signups um, ahead of the you know well-established players like HBO Max, which had 14 percent, Disney Plus had 13 percent, Hulu and CBS All Access each had 11 percent, and it also really displaced. HBO Max, which for five of the last six months had had the highest, I should say four of the last five months, had had the highest market share uh, for U.S. signups of all the big SVOD services. The only one uh, where they did not, the only month they didn't was in November where they were just edged out by Hulu, which had 22% compared to HBO Max's 20%. So um, overall, I think a, a strong start. Um, Discovery announced its earnings for 2020 on that. In that earnings, they estimated that they, by the end of February, so that would have been just over the weekend, they estimated that they would have 12 million paying subscribers globally, and that would include around 7 million paying subscribers here in the U.S. And uh, I, I think that's a pretty a pretty strong start uh, for Discovery Plus. Um, Antenna said that they got the majority of signups through third-party distributors like Apple, Amazon, and Roku. It's worth noting that the Antenna data does not include signups that happened through the Discovery Plus promotional deal with Verizon. And Antenna also said that over half, surprisingly, over half of Discovery Plus signups were for the ad-free tier, which cost $2 more per month. It cost $6.99 versus the ad-supported tier, which is $4.99. That's a little bit um, out of sync with uh, what we've seen from other of these hybrid ad-supported and subscription-supported services. So, for instance, Antenna said that less than a quarter of Peacock signups back in July of 2020, less than a quarter, were for its ad-free tier. and we also know historically, this goes back a couple of years, I think the last time Hulu said it, but Hulu said that the majority of its subscribers uh, also chose the ad-supported tier. So where they've been given a choice, um, consumers seem to have been biased towards the uh, ad-supported model, but here in the case of Discovery, maybe it's just an extra $2 per month, and so they have sided more with going with the ad-free model. I don't know, what's your take? Yeah, it's pretty interesting, isn't it, Will? It's interesting that that that, um, that more people are going ad free. I noticed that uh, that Peacock is still doing pretty well. There, the the um, antenna web says that, that they got six percent of signups, but it really looks like services like Netflix and HBO Max have taken a bit of the brunt of the of the ingress of Discovery Plus into people's consciousness because all of their number of signups have declined. But that said, there's still pretty strong activity with HBO Max. HBO Max garnered 14%. Now that's pretty far down from where they were in December 20, where they got 27%. Um, but that of course was was driven by the release of Wonder Woman 1984. I think that, that resulted in a lot of people coming yep. in. Yeah. Uh, and HBO Max is continuing to release uh, first-run 
movies in their service for a short short while. They give them, I think they give them just over a month for people to watch. And those are doing pretty well. That I was looking at Real Goods uh, streaming, weekend streaming report for last weekend and the little things, HBO Max was number three, Judas and the Black Messiah was HBO Max and that was number four. So that strategy seems to be working to attract people into the service. But can you believe one of the things I found really surprising is that Netflix, as mature as that business is, is still getting, you know, 6% of signups, even in January 21. Uh, that's, <laughs> right. I think that's a pretty amazing, amazing fact, despite the fact that they're so deeply penetrated. Absolutely. Well, the Netflix machine chugs on. It's, as we both know, it's just an original, a factory for originals at this point. And uh, there's more than likely going to be something that catches people's attention for the first time that they're going to come in and subscribe. And hope, you know, Netflix certainly hopes that they'll find something else in there that will keep them on, just like all these other SVOD services um, do. But, uh, you know, when you look at the chart that Antenna published, it's, it's a very busy marketplace. There's, uh, it sure is. There, there are now, um, I don't know, maybe 10 or more major services. And actually, this measured it for January when um, it was pre, well, CBS All Access was still in market. And now, I think starting tomorrow, tomorrow's going to be the Paramount Plus, the official Paramount Plus launch. So you got to believe that uh, those um, percentages for sign-up share are going to change yet again because Paramount Plus has been advertising like crazy, <coughs> excuse me, and no doubt is going to continue advertising like crazy so that it gets off to a, star a strong start. Yeah, that's right. And uh, I've signed up, so I'll tell you, well, maybe we can mention how that switch goes for me on uh, tomorrow. Uh, but yeah, you're right. They advertise during the Super Bowl, and they really are dumping in a lot of con lot more content. And 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 of course, they're being very aggressive by lowering the price of the ad supported tier. So we have to mm -hmm. see if that if that has the desired effect and gooses the growth in 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 that service. I would expect to see a bump as well. And the interesting thing, will the real test for Discovery Plus, of course is going to be in March, can they maintain their share of signups? And my suspicion is they're going to see a big drop off because uh, January was when they were first available. So you'd expect to see a lot of people who are pretty keen on getting the service jump in and sign up very quickly. Uh, but after that, getting subscribers is going to get much harder work and Paramount Plus launch isn't going to help that. So it should be interesting to see what happens in March getting subscribers and also, of course, keeping the subscribers that they got on board in the early weeks. That'll be their other challenge. But, um, you know, they've carved out kind of a differentiated position in the marketplace. They've um, avoided the scripted space. They're really in what they call real life or <laughs> what in the past was called reality TV. Um, that's their primary thing, 90 Day Fiance. I can't stop reading about that show. I don't know if you've sampled it yet. I have not. And uh, I think that's, you know, at least for this point anyway, I think differentiating them pretty well. Yeah, yeah. And I'm afraid 90 Day Fiancé ain't for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Colin. I think we may be out of time here this week. So we've covered a lot of ground between 
um, Disney Plus and Vizio, a lot of good stuff to look forward to as the year unfolds. There is going to be a very busy market this year. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, good chatting, of course. And thanks, everyone, for listening in on this week's edition of our Video News End Screen Media Podcast. And we will see you all again next week.